And so if you have a Bible, you can turn it to Hebrews chapter 4, uh, where today uh, we're going to kind of continue uh, with where uh, Jeremy left off last week talking about uh, the, this call to uh, heed the voice of God when He calls us to enter into His rest, that we would not harden our hearts in rebellion. So we're going to continue today in this Jesus is Greater series. And, and I want you to remember that as we continue in this series, we're going to look uh, at this uh, this this letter from this viewpoint or this this picture of the people that it's being written to, but also for our own lives today. So, so this letter was written uh, to uh, what was likely a group of second generation Jewish Christians who find themselves wrestling with the unrest that comes with following Jesus. Now, now I want you to, to pick up on that because that's going to be a bit odd for our time today. Because today, all we're going to talk about is rest. And yet what we know from this letter and what we know from our own lives is that God's people are dealing, they're wrestling with some unrest. You see, the, the thing about following Jesus, and, and, and Jeremy alluded to it last week, is he, he said that he was talking to someone and they said, yeah, when I, when I started following Jesus, I, I came to faith, uh, I, I was in the baseball world, and they told me, hey, look, uh, you're following Jesus, just be ready because you're probably going to lose the next four games. Now, what they meant by that is, hey, life is not necessarily going to be easy. It just, as you follow uh, Jesus, you are given new life. But man, in living life, it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy, that it's always going to work out the way you think it's going to. Uh, you know, even Jesus would say to his disciples, what? He would say, uh, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow. And what we know about the cross is the cross is an instrument of death, right? So daily that denying is that you're going to have to die to self. See, but the reality for those that, that are experiencing this wrestling in this letter and the reality for us is we don't really like that, do we? We like our version of rest. You know, I don't know what your version of rest is, but man, for me, like I like taking naps. Like that, and they, like people in here are like, yeah. The first time I went to Haley's family's for Christmas, we were there, everybody was hanging out, I'd had a little too much time as family, it wasn't even, you know, in, in the family yet, but I just got up and they were like, where did Kyle go? And I was upstairs, I just found a bed and just laid down at night, because that's for me, like I just needed some rest. Like we all, like when, when things get hard or we struggle or whatever, like we want those moments and we run into those certain things because we want our version of rest. You see, these people that, that this writer is writing to, they uh, are following Jesus, but they're following in the midst of persecution, and they're beginning to wonder if another way of life, maybe another way of living, or even another way of belief might bring them rest. Really, what I mean by that might bring them escape. And so as we think about that, as we think about this reality of rest and our need for rest and our longing for rest and where we go to for rest. I want you to think about a time in your life. Think about the time in your life when you felt the most exhausted, worn out, and in need of rest. Now for many of you, 
because I know the reality of the life of this church and the season we're in. For many of you, you immediately thought about having newborns, right? Like a new baby in the house. Like, amen, right? Like we all, the struggle is real uh, and it happens all throughout the night and during the day. Like I uh, remember those days. Let, let me rephrase. I'm about to vividly remember those days again, right? Maybe for some of you, it was after working a long shift or maybe a double shift at your job and like you were just exhausted. When I was in college, uh, at the beginning of my college career, uh, I worked at Circuit City and I was a manager in the computer department and I was working long hours in the great city of Temple, Texas. And, and I, I, man, I, like every day I work, like I'd have one day off a week and I work all day. And, and I was always thinking about sales, sales, sales. And I went to a buddy's house and I went to sleep and he woke me up a couple hours later and he said, Hey, Kyle, calm down. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, no, you were selling me a printer in your sleep. And all I said before rolling over was, did I do a good job? Right? Like that's all that, like I was exhausted and it affected me. But, but even in those things, the most tired I've ever been was driving back from California one time. So again, in my early 20s, I took a trip for a week with a group of people. We went and did evangelism in San Diego. Uh, and, and the way it worked was during the day, a group of about three or four people would drive. And then at night, my buddy Dan and I would take the night shift. And so uh, he was co-pilot or I, you know, and I was pilot like that. And, and we would just support one another along the way so we could stay awake. On the way there, it worked great. But on the way back, sometime around four o'clock in the morning, I'm co-pilot. And I tell Dan, who's driving, I said, Dan, look, man, I, I'm, uh, I'm not being a great co-pilot right now. Because when I look at the road, my eyes are crossing. I can't see. My vision is blurring. My eyes, I'm going cross-eyed. And I just want to let you know because, hey, I, I, I just, I want to be transparent before you. And, and I think in response, I'm going to get some comfort. And all Dan responds with is, don't worry, man. My eyes have been doing the same thing for the last 15 minutes. To which I went, pull over now. And we, luckily we did. He listened to me. But man, we were like, I slept for like the rest of the trip. I was out. Because I'd ne- like in my life, I'd never been that tired. So we all understand what it means. Like physically, man, we get exhausted, right? Maybe for some of you, what you thought about is maybe emotional or mentally ex- mental exhaustion, right? If you've ever gone through some form of suffering or even if you've lost a loved one, man, the emotional and mental exhaustion that comes with that, man, is overwhelming, is it not? You just feel like you just can't get rest. And for some of it, you ever just been simply life tired? Like, man, life can be great, but you're just going nonstop and you're just life tired. Man, maybe for some of you today, like it's you're 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 tired in the way because you're always seeking to 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 find identity in what you do and how you perform. Is it not exhausting to wake up every morning and say, okay, I've got to be this and I've got to do this so that people will see me in this way. And day in and day out, you perform and perform and perform. And then the reality is, is our culture doesn't help with this, right? Like our culture 
has glamorized performance in such a way that, that we say things like, you can rest when you're dead. That's Robert De Niro, by the way. Or there's no rest for the weary. Now, what that means is that we have to continue to toil and work no matter how exhausted we are so that we might keep up with who? The Joneses, right? Like we ha- I have to look a certain way. I have to do certain things because I'm always worried about what someone else has, what someone else is doing, and what I don't have and what I'm not doing. Do you all feel that today? You see, what happens is when what you do is who you are, if you're not doing, you begin to believe that you're nothing. And that's anti-gospel. That is a false gospel. How many in the room have sought rest and the next thing you can buy and the next promotion you can get, relationship you can have, only to be left wanting and waiting for the next thing that might bring you a moment of rest? And listen, this hasn't escaped the church. Like we can, can if we're not careful, move into a, a false gospel of works-based righteousness, right? Or, and we, this is something we talk about all the time as a church, is that we can begin to believe that the gospel is just for my past or my future, but it has no meaning for today. And that does one of two things. Either it means... Jesus saved me then and now I better keep up and do the rest of the work so that one day maybe hopefully I'll get there, which is works-based righteousness, the false gospel. Or, and I think this one probably hits a little closer to home for most people. It's like, yeah, well, I've got my ticket to heaven. Who cares how I live now? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. You see, all that produces is lazy but not restful Christianity. You see, when things get hard, we tend to look to someone or something other than Jesus for rest. And this is the issue facing those to whom this letter is addressed. You see, in the face of suffering and persecution, the threat to look elsewhere for rest, specifically turning back to Judaism and its practices, is right in front of them. You see, if rest is not found in the former things, so, so in our lives, if rest is not found in what we did or what we do or what we are after, then how in the world can we find rest? Well, in today's text, the writer is going to present us with two things regarding rest that when seen in light of the Gospel, lead us to live lives that are both at rest but also bearing fruit. And so there's two things that I want us to get from our time in the text today. First is this. Rest is available. The rest we long for, so gospel or deep soul rest is available, but it can be missed. And then secondly, the rest we long for is only found in Jesus. And so let's begin by looking at Hebrews 4, verses 1-7. through It says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. 
For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay, so the writer of Hebrews Following the initial warning in chapter 3 that we saw last week from Psalm 95 that told us not to harden one's heart in rebellion, but to rather exhort one another against the deceitfulness of sin and unbelief so that we might turn to God in faith and dependency both as our rescuer and our sustainer even in the wilderness places. What he does is he continues to expound this call to not harden one's heart. And to enter into God's rest. You see, for a people that are dealing with unrest, for we as a people who at times are dealing with unrest, over and over again, what we need to be told is enter into His rest. Well, what I hope you hear today in this is that rest is available, enter into His rest. That's what we find to start, is that rest is available. But the second thing we see in this text is that it can be missed. The text says, for the promise of entering rest is available. You see, uh, we, we should just stop there because that is good news. It is good news for all who hear this. Guess what? Today is not too late. Today is the day if you have not already entered the rest of the gospel, which proclaims that Christ lived the life you could not live and died the death you deserve to die. You see, this is true rest and it's available to you. Today, like, don't wait. It's available now. It's going to be presented again in verses 6 and 7. Author J.C. Ryle, I love this quote, he says, Tomorrow is the devil's day, but today is God's. See, the enemy wants nothing more than, you for, than for you to read your Bible tomorrow, than for you to follow Jesus tomorrow. And you to share your faith tomorrow. As long as it's tomorrow, it's okay. That's why Ryle says, no, tomorrow's the devil's day. No, God's day is today. Be obedient to the call today. And so we see, like, today, if, you're, if you do not know Christ, I want to implore you and exhort Like, today is the day. But also, man, today, if you are a follower of Jesus, that reality means this. Keep proclaiming the gospel because it's still available to others and they need to hear it. And one of the ways we do that is we live out of and into that rest daily. As we live into the rest that Jesus gives us, we live out of that rest and we proclaim that rest to others in word and in deed. What this promise of the the rest being available leads to, in verse 1, leads to a call to fear. The writer says, fear lest any who might believe they have entered that rest, but have not entered it. And so while rest is available, according to the text, it can be missed. Now let me say just a few things about what the writer is doing here. First, what this does not mean is that you can lose your salvation. 
That's not what the writer is saying, and that is not the message of the gospel. Jesus does not save us by grace and then tell us, good luck, it's now up to you. I hope you can hold on. No, it's saving grace from beginning to end. When Jesus saves, He saves fully and He sustains completely. And so if it doesn't mean that, the worry of the writer is a worry I believe we should hold as well. The worry is that some listening don't have genuine faith. They, like he says, the people of old, they, like uh, God's people in the wilderness, specifically if you look at Numbers 13 and 14, we saw some of that story last week. They believe in a rest, but they've missed it because they've not put their faith in the one who brings rest. And so what we need to heed is that while rest in God is available, it can be missed. Guess what? You can know a lot of Bible verses. You could have been Bible champ, Bible drill champ as a kid. You, you, can, go to, you can show up to church every Sunday. You, you can put on the church face. You can have the, the, the shirt, the bumper sticker, the coffee cup. Like You can have all the right saying and yet not be at rest. You can know a lot and not be known by Jesus. That's why Jesus in Matthew 7, He says, man, one day a lot of people will come to Me and say, Lord, Lord, and He'll say, away from Me, I never knew You. And what He says, what the people respond with, but we did all these awesome, He says, no, I never knew You. So the example given by the writer is, He points us back to Numbers 13 and 14. And what it shows is that God's people were in the wilderness. And what happens is, is Caleb and Joshua have gone in and they've spied out the land and they come back and they give what is a good news report. They said it is good, like we're, it's time to go in. But what happens... Actually, what happens is in Numbers 14.9, Caleb and Joshua, they're so confident. They say, they are like bread for us. They're ready for the take. In our language, it's a piece of cake, guys. Come on. They're ready to be consumed. Let's go. But the response is not what they had hoped for. Actually, what happens right after Numbers 14.9, it says the people sought to stone them for saying this. The writer of Hebrews says that while the good news of their victory was presented to them, they heard it, but it was not mixed with faith. You see, while they had seen, experienced, and knew of God's power in bringing them out of Egypt and through the wilderness, they now faced a challenge that in their eyes was too great for God. Like, just think about that. They've seen and heard and and watched God do all these things, but they get to the precipice of the promised land and they're like, He did all that, but He can't do this. They're stuck. They did not trust. And therefore, they did not enter the rest of the promised land. You see, while many believed in God, The only two that had faith in God, Caleb and Joshua, were allowed to enter the promised land. Now, I want you to think about, again, let's think about our lives as well. Let's think about what this means in our context and our culture, man, because I believe for many there is a belief in God, but there is not a faith and trust in God. 
For some, you, maybe you today, you piggyback on the faith of your parents or someone else you knew. For some, maybe it's again what I talked about, it's faith plus I've got to do these things. Maybe for you, you have what I would term as like a faith of many colors where it's like, well, I take this part of this faith and this part of this faith and I like that and it's only the good stuff and any of the bad stuff, I'm going to push it off to the side. Maybe for you, it's, hey, I'm going to be good enough to believe that I get in, but I'm still going to be bad enough to keep my image up. All those are anti-gospel and they bring no rest. Actually, all those things bring death. Leon Morris describes this faith in Hebrews 4 as an attitude of trusting God wholeheartedly. And what he does is he directs the belief to verse 3 where we see that while many do not enter that rest because of unbelief, he says there are those that do enter the rest of God. And the reason they do is because they wholeheartedly put their faith and trust in God and God alone. And so I want us to hear something this morning is this. I said earlier that the Christ follower cannot lose one's salvation and that is wholeheartedly true. But I will say that in light of this text that we have to wrestle, I think everyone has to wrestle in two areas. First, have you entered that rest today through belief that produces faith and trust or do you just believe because that's what good people do? And that was the mantra of my family growing up. I had argument after argument after argument with people in my family that just said, Kyle, you're following Jesus a little too hard. You're kind of becoming a radical and, and you just need to be a good person. And I think there was a time in my life that I believed that. But man, as I was met, one, with the reality of my own sin and two, with the reality of God's grace, I was like, that can't match up. And so I would press it. Well, what about this? What about... And they would say, no, no, no. It's just about being a good person. Well, define for me Good. Well, no, Kyle, we're not, let's not talk about that. Let's, and, and, let's just be a good person. I think for so many, that's the life they live day in and day out. And they define good in their own terms. And it brings no rest. So today, have you entered that rest through belief that produces faith? Or do you believe because that's what good people do? Secondly, while salvation can't be lost, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can turn to things other than Christ in the midst of suffering and circumstance that lead you away from rest and towards unrest. Man, praise God for grace that calls us out of that. But in the words of Thomas Watson, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Another way to say this is in light of the Scripture today is that until you place yourself under the rule and reign of Christ, you will have no rest. And so today, do you find yourself in unrest on one side or the other? For as the passage continues, the rest that we're after is not a quick momentary rest for our souls that simply escapes the worries of a day. It is an eternal rest that is found in God. For it is the same rest that God entered into upon His completion of creation in Genesis 1. It is a rest that is continual, eternal, and yet an active rest. 
Like, have you ever thought about that reality? That the rest God offers is His rest, and it is better than any rest that could ever be promised. And yet so often, we look to other people, we look to other things, we look to you fill in the blank to give us rest, and they fail to deliver every single time, do they not? Like, when was the last time your overwork led to rest? When was the last time your anger that you gave into led to rest, internal or external? When was the last time you stewing on anxiety, Kyle, gave you rest? What about the constant need you feel to earn acceptance and love from others by doing or being enough for them? Do you feel at rest? What about those extra drinks you have at the bar or in your garage? What about the websites you search? Does that give you rest? The money in your bank account, does it give you rest? What about your phone? Does scrolling really give you rest? Do the number of likes you get give you rest? They fail every time. And yet we run back to them like a broken sister. And so again, I say just as the text says, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, may today, not tomorrow, not when you've exhausted all other forms of so-called rest be the day. No, let today be the day you turn to God in rest. Whether it be for the first time or the first time in a long time. Don't harden your heart. Repent of your unbelief and turn to God in faith and trust. The term today for those to whom this letter was being written to meant now. Not sometime today, like right now. Rest is available. Don't miss it. Which brings me to point number two for the day, which when you preach or seek to preach gospel-centered sermons like you, sometimes you give the answer earlier than you expect. But my second point is that Jesus is the only way of rest. Rest is only found in Christ. Let's read verses 8-10. through 10. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Alright, so following this call to the rest that is available today, we see in these verses the truth that rest is only found in Jesus. And the way, man, the writer reveals it is just beautiful. For it begins by saying that if Joshua would have given them rest, the writer of Psalm 95, likely David, would not have written years and years later about another day of rest. But this is what's beautiful that we miss in translation. 
The names Joshua and Jesus are the exact same in Greek. And so what we find here is that while Old Testament Jesus, Joshua led God's people into the promised land, and there were moments like Joshua 11 where it says the land had rest, the rest was not sustained. Because guess what? Joshua could not provide the real rest the people needed. And guess what? The land couldn't provide it either. You see, Joshua died, but he died a sinful man and needed the same rest that we all need. He could not ultimately provide the rest that we long for. And you see a vivid picture of it in Judges chapter 2. So in Judges 2, Joshua dies. What it says is that after they've conquered this land and done all these things, that, that, that the people followed Joshua all the days of his life. But when he died, it says they buried him, and then one generation later, they had forgotten the rest God brought to them, and the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Meaning they worshipped other gods that they hoped would bring them rest. Again, think about the context of this letter. This is a group of second, likely second generation Christians who have heard, seen, and know about what Jesus has done. And yet the threat is the same. Turn to other things. Do you see where Joshua, the son of Nun, failed to lead God's people into full rest? Jesus, the son of God, the greater Joshua, did not fail. For while Joshua led God's people into the promised land, he died and rest was lost on the people. But Jesus has led us through the greater exodus and into the greater, the great promised land of renewed relationship with God. Because he died and rose again. So that we might know the rest that comes only through him. Therefore, Jesus is the ultimate Joshua and we can trust in Matthew eleven twenty eight when he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. He's the only one that can say it, and it be true. It is a rest, again, that is Sabbath in nature. For it is the very rest that came about when God finished His work of creation and then it's the same work, uh, Sabbath that came when Jesus cried out, it is finished upon the cross. So from creation to the finished work of the cross. But I love what happens. Jesus says that after God finished His work in creation, Jesus actually says in the Gospel, He says that my Father is still working even now. What He's working is to bring fruition the salvation of His people. And then Jesus, upon saying it is finished, guess what? He's still at work even unto now, bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Rest is still available today. See, in our lives, nothing will bring us rest other than Jesus. There is no rest apart from His finished work. And so let us quit turning to other things and let us look to Him who gives us rest. Which is why we get this exhortation in verse 11. For since Christ is our only source and hope for rest. It says let us strive. Again, that is not works based. 
What is meant there is that we would put our focus and attention and and direct our gaze, our lives and our obedience and faith towards Jesus who is our rest. But why? Well, we see it in the text so that we don't fall into disobedience and unrest. You see, it is a daily diligence Christ's finished work does not produce laziness, but active rest that lives differently from the world around us. You see, in the midst of every season of life, we live not in unrest, but in a rest that actually frees us from fear and empowers us to live lives marked by the power of God's Spirit, which is at work within us. You see, God's rest is a rest that works both in and through us to display the glory of Christ's finished work to those who need to hear about it, to those who need to enter His rest. And so as you think about your life, what is it that threatens to bring unrest in your life? Maybe it's not a threat. Maybe for you today it's a present reality. That has led to weariness of heart. Has led to unrest in your thoughts and actions. Man, I want to implore you and encourage you to fight against it. Not in your own strength, but by the power of the Spirit. Today, look to Jesus. Today, enter that rest. A rest that is still available and is still at work. Fight for it, Christian. Quit laying down, allowing doubt and disobedience power in your life. And so as we think about that, one of the questions is like, well, how? What, what, what does that look like? And so what I want to do in closing is I just want to give you just a list of practical steps. The first of which is this. Cry out to God. Run to Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden. And you're crying out, believe the Gospel. And I don't say that just as a buzzword or a phrase that we just throw out there. What I mean by that is this. Today, if you're an unbeliever, today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe. Our hearts know no rest apart from Jesus. The follower of Jesus, I say the same. Proclaim the finished work of the Gospel, which is good news, over yourself daily so that you have no better news to believe. Again, your heart knows no rest apart from Christ. Secondly, get in the Word. We're going to talk more on this next week, but to combat the attacks of disobedience and unrest, we have to be in the Word. Get into an equipped group or get into the Word in community. Be a part of a missional community. Read the Word, but process it with others. The next one, I want to invite you, encourage you, man, if you're struggling in this area of unrest, man, learn what it means to fast. Like what causes unrest in your heart? And if you, uh, if it's revealed or as it's revealed, if it's blatantly sinful, get rid of it. Don't fast from it. Just get rid of it. Put it away. But man, I believe one of the ways that we grow as followers of Jesus, that we grow in rest, is by fasting from things like food and other things like media. Because what it does is it exposes the hold, those, the hold that those things have on us that might be unhealthy. 
but also it gives us space to develop and grow our desire for God above those things. That He would be ultimate in our lives. Like, like as you think about that, like if you believe that you need it for soul rest and it's unhealthy and you either need to get rid of it or put it down until the rest of Christ is greater than your life, in your life. Next, make time for important things. Like you make time for what you plan for and you plan for what's important to you. Like don't say you have, don't have time for God. Like you do. You just have to fight for that time. And if you say you don't, what you're giving your time to that is not of ultimate importance shows what's important to you. Which leads me to the next thing. And this is one that we don't necessarily like. Learn to be held accountable. Like today, uh, if there's an area in your life of unrest, we, we talked about it last week where uh, Jeremy said, like, if there's an area of life in struggle, like, you need to be transparent and honest about that. But also, if there's an area of, unli- of unrest and maybe even sin in your life that you're struggling, like, go to an, uh, a follower of Jesus and share the areas where you need to be held accountable and then allow them to hold you accountable. Like, don't say, hey, I want you to hold me accountable. And then when they do, you're offended at them. Like, how dare you? Let's be, we do that, right? How, I, no, but you told me. Yeah, I know what I told you, but I didn't really mean it or think you would do it. If they hold you accountable, let them hold you accountable. Like, humble yourself. So tell others. And if you're told, be gracious, loving, and then hold them accountable. Uh, another thing I would encourage you to do is, I mean, as you wrestle with unrest, like seek counsel, good counsel, biblical counsel. Could be biblical counseling, which is also great, but seek counsel from other Christians you trust. I, I experienced that over the last couple of days. So we went to SeaWorld this week or San Antonio and did the whole, all, everything, all the things. And I got back and man, I had felt really good about where the text was today and then Yesterday I went to the office just to kind of finalize some things. I mean, I was just wrestling with it. And so I got home and I was like, Haley, I just, I just don't like, I don't feel like, I just feel like things are clunky and I don't know the direction. And she said, Kyle, just give them the practical. Like, you do a great job at that. And I was like, okay, okay, but I still, I don't feel comfortable. I got to get through the text. And I, I was still struggling with it a bit. And so I, I ended up just text Jeremy and I said, hey, I, I just need you to pray for me. Like, Hebrews is not an easy thing to preach through. And so, will you just pray for me? And he replied, and he just said, hey, yeah, I'll pray for you. Just trust in the Spirit. God can do a lot for his, through His Word. And I said, yeah, 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 that's great. But I've got to get through this text. <laughs> and this morning, I got to the office, and I, started, and I was like, it just doesn't, I, like, I, it doesn't feel right. And, and, and what I realized is two things. One, I wasn't getting to the practical. Like, hey, how does this relate to our lives? Thank you, Haley. But also, I wasn't listening to even Jeremy's counsel. And what I realized is I was going through it and I was like, no, I'm trying to preach a, a, a whole other portion of the text because I feel like if I don't, we're going to be behind. And then I remembered his words in the text that said, God can do a lot through his word. I was, what I was trying to do is like, no, I'm going to force through it. And I was just met with the reality that he, it's his word. 
And that He can do, He can, if I don't get to something this week, He can sustain us. Because guess what? I don't sustain y'all. If y'all think I do, you could, let's talk because it's wrong. Only Jesus sustains. Only Jesus is rest. A couple more things. Seek both community and solitude. What I mean by that is this. You need both. You need time. You need to take moments and have time alone. You just have time alone with you and God. I've heard some pastors use the term, and I think, man, it could be good for just culturally we would do this, like one hour a day, one day a week, you know, where we Sabbath rest, and then, or, and then, you know, one day a month where we just try to get away, and then one week a year, like vacation, right? But that, that like, we, we need that time. But just as much as you need that time, you need community. Something we tell people all the time is if you need community and solitude, but if all you want is solitude, jump and in, press into community. And if all you want is community, you probably need a little solitude. And so get involved in the life of the local church. Be transparent. Share where you are. You're feeling unrest and where Christ is bringing rest. And then lastly, I've alluded to it a bit, man, we need to learn to be a people that Sabbath each and every day. Because guess what? I don't believe it's just for one day. Like we are people that are to be at rest an active rest. But you do. Like we should take moments. Like today should be a day of rest. And I'll say this, because like that looks different for everyone in some ways. What's really restful, like I know some people, they're not taking any naps. Okay? But they'll still rest. And that's great. Like, get, like what, man, encourages and fills up your soul? For Jesus and life. I believe that we stink at Sabbath because rest or being still makes us nervous. And the reason it makes us nervous is because we fear that if I rest or I'm still, I'll have to deal with what's going on in my heart. Guess what? That's a good thing. We should see that as a grace in our life. And if you don't, man, you need to press into that. Like we need to wrestle so that we might enter into and live out of the rest of Jesus Christ. Because guess what? It's available to us today. Now. Don't harden your heart. And so I'm going to have the team come back up. And man, I want to invite you to allow the Spirit just to move and work in your heart and life right now. Today, if you, if for the first time you heard man, you did this talk about rest, or maybe you've known about rest, maybe you believe a whole lot, but you have no faith in Jesus, today is the day I invite you. Turn to Him. Enter into His rest. But also today, man, if you're like, man, I'm following Jesus, but I feel a whole lot of unrest in my life. I want you to just think, what are those areas of unrest? And what are some practical steps? First and foremost, man, go to God and say, God, maybe you need to repent of uh, seeking to do things in your own strength. Seeking to control, to overperform, to work at it until you get yourself in a place that then you go, no, go to Him now. Today's the day. He is rest. Don't harden your heart. Don't do it tomorrow. Do it today. 
And so I want to invite you to those things. Maybe some of those practical steps that we just talked about. Maybe you go to somebody for accountability or you go to someone for counsel. Maybe you talk with your spouse or someone close to you about man, what it looks like to read the Word together. To pray. And then if you're a follower of Jesus, not not that you just believe, but man, you wholeheartedly, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to invite you to come and experience a picture of the rest that is found in Jesus. So each week we share in communion together and what we do in this moment is a remembrance of what Christ has done, that He allowed His body to be broken and His blood poured out so that we, again, might be brought into that rest. And so I want to invite you to that, to come and you can share when you're ready. We have bread, we have a cup you can dip in or a cup you can take. They're both juice, but you can grab that, go back to your seat. And man, remember what Jesus has done, but also remember what this calls you to. That as you live into His rest, you are to live out of that rest. You are to be a people that proclaim to others that He is rest. And so God, I thank You for this time. And I thank You that You... um, that You bring rest to the deepest parts of who we are. So for every person in here, God, I don't know where they're at, where their heart's at, but God, if they need to come to know You today because they have no rest, that they would find it in You today. And that even if they've been in church their whole life and they think, well, I, 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 can't, I have to save face. I can't let people know that I, I've never really had a relationship with God. That that would just be cast away and that they uh, would be empowered by your Spirit to, to step out in faith. In boldness. But God, that all of us would do the same. That if, uh, for every follower of Jesus in this room, that we would first be at rest in You, and that You would reveal all the areas of our lives that are uh, filled with unrest, and that we would uh, lay them at Your feet, that we would come to You in our weariness, in our heaviness, and that You would give us rest. That we would not wait, but that we would do it even now. And even as we prepare to leave this place today, we would leave in light of that rest, but that we would go and live lives that proclaim it. In Jesus' name.